Today, you can turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. Great passage in the Word of God, 2 Timothy in chapter number 3. A Presbyterian minister and a Methodist minister and a Baptist minister had all gathered together to pray together at a breakfast one morning. And they begin to get in kind of a little, you know, friendly rivalry as ministers will sometimes be prone to do. And they begin to talk about the great apostle Paul. And one, and then the Presbyterian minister, he said, you know, if Paul was alive today, I do believe he'd decide to become a Presbyterian. He would be impressed with our scholarly ways and he would just, he would love us and he would become Presbyterian. Well, the Methodist minister, not to be outdone, promptly replied, why, I don't believe so. I, I appreciate your synopsis, brother, but I believe the Apostle Paul, if he was here today, would be a Methodist. He would see our methodology and think that we were lining up and just down the line, and, and he would love that. And I believe he'd do it. I believe he'd become a Methodist. And they turned and looked at the old Baptist redneck preacher and said, well, what do you think? And he just said, I don't believe he'd change. <laughs> well, a lot of things are changing. But there's one thing that will not change, and you can mark it down. And the, the message today is just simply preach the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to share your precious word. I pray that indeed I'd preach the word as you would have it. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, the Word of God states, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth." Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was known. We'll stop there with our reading until we make our next point. But I want you to see this morning, the Apostle Paul clearly labeled that a time would come which he chose to call a perilous time. And first he begins to show us the actions of those times. Now mind you, this was written some well over 1,500 years ago. And yet, in that day, what he described we see unfolding today. In 2010, just this last couple of weeks and months, has our world not been rocked by earthquakes? Haiti and now Chile and now the after effects of that. And it causes one to wonder, who's next? There are earthquakes, rumors of wars, pestilence, things we've not seen. Do you remember just a few, about a year ago, there was a rice shortage 
Not in China, but here. Some of you didn't even know about that, did you? Uh, there were people going and buying hordes of rice at stores like Sam's Club and buying them. That was here, United States of America. We were able to somehow manage to bypass that one and jump along. But it's coming. Perilous times. I mean, we all seem, and whether it's our personal lives or our public lives, there are perilous times. I remember this last summer, I was thinking of this passage as I was driving along the interstate and uh, I-75 in, in South Florida, or Middle Florida, going towards Gainesville. My father was in the VA Medical Institute, uh, Center there, was headed there. He had not been able to get there, and for whatever reason, the insurance and the VA and all that, we were having to transport him, and it's about an hour and a half drive. Well, he didn't think he could get in and out of any of our, vehicle, of our vehicles, and we'd borrowed a friend's van that had a uh, wheelchair lift and all of that kind of stuff in it, and he thought he could get in and out of that because it was you know, easy to recline in. And we were driving along just perfectly fine and happy, and I began to... Brother John Langdon, you'll appreciate this. He, he and I used to both race some of the same type vehicles. When you're on a racetrack, you feel that little bump, bump, bump. You know it is not the boogeyman, it's the tire that's about to blow. <laughs> and I began to feel that little bump. I thought, now that shouldn't be. The guy told me he just put brand new tires on this van. And sure enough, we had, I slowed down to about 50 miles an hour and pulled over kind of toward the emergency lane, was trying to get off at the next exit, and that tire came unraveled. There we are, sitting on the side of the interstate. It's 110 on the asphalt, you know, in, in Florida in July. And my dad's there. I mean, we're trying desperately to get him to the hospital. It was a week before he died. And I'm trying to do everything to get him some comfort and get him there where he can at least eat a couple of meals. And he's looking out the back window saying, I'm sorry, son. I said, it's not your fault, Dad. And I didn't want to turn the thing off because it's hot outside. We got the air conditioner running and it happened to be the tire that was on the exhaust side. So that exhaust blowing right in my face. <laughs> and I begin to look around and try to find something to change this tire with. Wasn't in my vehicle, which had insurance coverage to change the tires, you know. And uh, I looked at this, uh, looked at the lug nuts, got them all off but one. And the wrench would just slip on it. I think some monkey about 5,000 pounds put that thing on there. And I mean, it would not break loose. <laughs> my wife was out, you know, her great size, you know. She's, uh, she said, what can I do to help? I said, find me a stick, a brick, a rock. I don't care. That fence pole over there, something to break this lug nut loose. And we began to try to work with it. And I couldn't get it loose for anything. And I finally took, and she found me a big old stick off of a tree, and I took that stick and beat the lug wrench on there tight enough to finally break it loose. <laughs> and we got that tire changed and got on into the hospital, and I thought, perilous times, buddy. <laughs> sure they are. But you have them. The actions of the times, whether they are great, governmental, whether they are our own fault, whether they're somebody else, they're coming. But who are the actors of the times? Look what he says in verse 2. They shall be lovers of their own selves. My, 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 have we ever seen a day when men are in love with themselves? It's all about me. I mean, that is the philosophy, the attitude. It's all about me. He talks about those that are incontinent. That simply means without self-control. 
Boy, have you ever seen a time? I was walking through a store the other day with my daughter, and we were, uh, I don't even remember the store now, but as we were walking along, I, I do remember, it was up at Smithfield. We went in the J&R outlets, and I was walking along there, and two ladies going by, uh, forgive me, ladies, it could have been men, but two ladies going by, and I heard a couple of swear words that should not have been said in public, especially in front of a child. And I thought, you know, I remember when people have more self-control than that. I mean, ladies particularly didn't used to swear in public. <laughs> they might have called their husbands some names at home, but <laughs> they didn't do those kind of things. And for a man to swear in front of a woman, uh, that sometimes that was grounds to get slapped across your face. And I thought, where have we come? Without self-control, incontinent, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Without natural affection. Perhaps you saw recently of the, the mom, they were doing a rerun on the story of the mom who left the baby in a bathroom. That's not natural. That is just not natural for a mother to leave her infant child and just walk away. And yet we're seeing the actions of the time. We're seeing the actors of the times. They are unfolding right before our eyes. Brother, Brother Bobby, as you got up to sing that song, I thought, boy, what a fit. <laughs> and then, then we sang about the, the Lord coming down. That's exactly, these actors of the times are exactly who God came to save. And so how are we going to reach this generation that is so different? I want you to see not only the prayerless ties, but the personal testimony. Verse number 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, under Lystria, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you realize we have in our church a great number of ministers, teachers, and people who share the word of God? And I'm grateful for that. But can I tell you something this morning? If you try to stand before a Sunday school class or before any group and share anything but the word of God and what God has done for your, you in your life, then quit. If you don't have a personal testimony, you're a phony. If God has not changed you. You know why so many of our churches, 4,000 churches a year are being started in America while 7,000 are being closed in that same year? That means we're losing 3,000 churches a year. Why? I'll tell you why. I'll give it to you in, in the terms you can understand. Have you ever had a pickle that didn't have any tang to it? Have you, have you ever had lemonade without the sugar? <laughs> Man. Or just leave the bacon powder out of the biscuits. Or, or maybe take French fries. Now, have you ever been to, uh, I'll tell you, have you ever been to a, a restaurant and got some French fries? And you took a bite of them and realized they forgot to salt them. <laughs> now, friends, that is just a waste of a good grown Idaho potato, isn't it? <laughs> 
French fry without the salt is just, just disgusting. <laughs> you put one bite in your mouth and it's, you know, it's funny. You can eat a mashed potato that way, but you cannot eat a French fry. I guess you can if you have to. But a French fry without salt just doesn't work. And we got a lot of teachers that are going across our land in churches and in ministry groups and in Bible clubs that don't got no salt. They do not have a personal testimony. Paul begins to give his testimony. He says, you know me. You know my testimony. You know what God has done. Why? Because remember there was one day, Timothy was at a little Bible meeting. It was a little Bible study, possibly even done in a house. And he heard this man, the Apostle Paul, preach. And after the service, he said, I want that. And I don't know exactly what happened, kind of read between the lines, but God gloriously saved the young man, Timothy. <laughs> and probably some, some, some church member went home and maybe the wife wasn't able to go that day. And they said, well, what happened to church? Oh, nothing much. That little grand boy of uh, a Eunice has got, got, went down to the front this morning. I don't know. That's about all that happened. <laughs> That's all that happened, praise God. <laughs> Man, when these little kids comes down here and get saved, we ought to rejoice over them. I tell you what, last night at our uh, st- concert, we, we, there was a stat that kept running across the screen my wife had prepared that just captivates me every time I see it. Focus on the Family in 2009 did a study, and they found that 95% of children who are not saved by the age of 18 only have a 5% chance of being saved after that. That tells me a lot of times we're ministering to the wrong group. We need to have, have the adult church back there and bring the kids in here. I tell you what, that means that, you, you think about it. That means that in a crowd of this size, anybody that was not saved by 18 only has 5% chance. And little Timothy gave his heart to God and and Paul says, Timothy, you know me. You know what I'm preaching. You know what I'm telling you is true. And I am telling you now that perilous times are going to come. I'm telling you my personal testimony, but I want to give you a powerful truth. Look with me to verses number 12 through 15. Yea, all that will love godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. That little word wax there is not talking about wax in your car, but it's simply meaning that it will get worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of them that thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." says, Timothy, I want you to understand something. There is a powerful truth that the word of God that I am giving you is all you need. You don't have to study the schisms. You don't have to study the cult. You don't have to study all of them to know it. Do you realize a banker doesn't practice with counterfeit money? They have a banker practice over and over and over again with real money because they say once you feel the real stuff, you'll know when you have a counterfeit in your hand. Teach the truth. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word, Paul said. And when you preach the word, it will not return void. The word is called the sword. It's called the light. It's called our our foundation. And he gives a powerful truth. And you say, what are we going to face in these perilous times? They're coming. They're here. We will suffer persecution. It's a promise. If you're going to live godly, 
you're going to get persecuted. If you don't ever have persecution coming in your life, you might better just get to be a little bit closer, to, need to get a little closer to the God that we serve. If you're not being persecuted, then I'd want to know why. At some point, if you're serving God, you're going to be talked about. You're going to be misunderstood. I've been reading some of the great heroes of the faith, Hudson Taylor, D.L. Moody. Do you realize people accuse them of everything under the sun? (laughs) I mean, D.L. Moody, they had letters written about him all over Chicago to the newspaper calling him Crazy Moody, calling him an idiot, accusing him of of gaining funds for his own personal use, which, by the way, he never did. Hudson Taylor was, gave away, by the time Hudson Taylor died, he'd given in that economy's day $7.1 million to reach the Chinese. And he died penniless, but happy. Because you see, they said China can't be reached. He had over 100-something missionaries under his care when he died. <laughs> they estimate that 30,000 Christians... We're now Christians in China because of Hudson Taylor. And you know what? Amen. I'm glad somebody got it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And you know what? They talked about him. Hudson Taylor was beaten once and drugged through glass because of his message. (laughs) He escaped down a back wall many times to, to avoid being burned to death in China during the Boxer Rebellion. And we come to church, and if the air conditioner's not working right, we say, well, I ain't going back there to fix that thing. (laughs) Powerful truth. You see, that's why it got a hold of men like that, that they would give up everything. (laughs) You know where it came from? Mom and dad? (laughs) I want you to listen to this. Hudson Taylor's mom and dad began to pray when they knew they were expecting a, a baby that God would do something great when they found when he was born and they realized it was a boy child. They prayed that God would make him a missionary to China. He said, well, he just, they told him and he, no, they never told him. Until Hudson Taylor never knew that until after the seventh year of his ministry in China. Powerful truth. You teach your kids truth, you don't have to worry about them finding error. And I began to think about it. What would Paul do? What would D.L. Moody do? What would Sunday do? What would even Billy Graham late do? What would they do in the times we're going to be facing in 2010? You know, and I began to imagine in my mind, what if we brought them in? You see, our methods may change, and they will. They should. They have. But the mission changes the same. And I've heard some people even stand up and say, well, I worship God just like my grandfather did. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Your grandfather didn't have air conditioning. Your grandfather might not even have a pew to sit on that was padded. It's different. And you might imagine going back, and let's just get D.L. Moody and bringing him in. You see, the methods change. And we could bring him into some of our modern day churches and said, Hey, Brother D.L., just imagine we could do time travel and say, Brother D.L., we want to show you around what God's done for us, Brother Dwight. And we begin to take him through, and he'd walk in and he'd look on our churchyards and all that and the beautiful grass and all those things. He said, I don't remember any of that. We bring him in the back of one of the foyers of any of our churches and he'd look at all the electric lights and he'd say, What's, what's that? And I'd say, Well, that's an electric light. Oh, I don't remember that. 
No, we, we had gas lights when I preached. And sometimes it was so dark, Moody couldn't see his text because <laughs> it was just flickering little lights and people would get sick from the gas fumes. <laughs> and maybe we'd bring him in and he would look around a little bit at some of our churches and he'd say, what's all these locks on the doors? We didn't have any of that. We just had a little, sometimes didn't even have a door. Well, that's to keep the people out because we're in advanced intellectual society. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. Well, Mr. Moody, let me bring you down here. And he'd walk in and he'd look down and he'd say, Oh, my goodness, what is this stuff? Well, that's, that, that's, that's the nice carpet we walk on. Well, most of the places I went didn't have that. And then we'd take him down and bring, show him around a little bit. And maybe out the window he'd see a bus, maybe a church van or a church bus. And he'd say, Well, what, what is that for? Because, you know, they were just coming around with that kind of stuff when he was there. And he, well, that, that's a church bus and a van. And we go out and we haul people into church with those and we tell them about Jesus. And uh, they're, they're good, useful instruments. Sometimes they leak oil on the parking lot and might smell a little bit. And he'd say, oh, I understand. I don't remember a bus. I said, no, well, what did y'all do? And he said, well, we had a wagon with a mule and it leaked a little bit too. <laughs> And then I'd maybe I'd take him around and show him a few more things. And he'd say, well, I don't remember any of that. And then maybe Mr. Moody would ask me, well, how are you going to reach people? And I'd begin to hold up this old book. <laughs> and he'd say, well, what's that? And I'd say, this is my Bible that we preach the Word of God. And he said, let me read it. And he'd begin to flip it open and he'd say, oh, John 3, 16. And all of a sudden, Mr. Moody began to get excited and he'd say, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. I can minister in this society because I can preach the Word. You see, our methods might change. Every, uh, everything's a changing. I mean, good night. Today, if Superman was alive, he'd have to change in a cell phone. It's changing. And the church is going to just have to keep up with the changes in the methods. But the mission is going to be the same. Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. And you see, he began, I, I could go back and I could even go all the way back and maybe get Billy Sunday. You know, he used to, most of you wouldn't have Billy Sunday. He might break the chair while he was here. They said when Billy Sunday be preaching on the on the uh, on abolition and the rather the alcohol trade, he'd get so mad sometimes he'd pick up a, cha- a chair on stage and break it. <laughs> I don't remember Brother Billy breaking any chairs lately. I'm not sure if we could pick those up there up anyway. <laughs> but Billy Sunday would look around and he'd say things have changed a mighty good bit since I was ministering. And we'd say, well, 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 Billy, is there anything you recognize here? And he said, well, I recognize some of those instruments. I don't recognize all these electric thing instruments over here. What are they? And we said, well, they're guitars that we use, and they help us praise God. And he said, well, praise God. That's good. I don't remember a lot about that. We might take him through any number of other things, but you know what? I could take him through, and he might even say, well, what's that, that box back there in that room? I said, well, that's our sound system. Oh, I don't remember all of those because some of those guys preached before the days of sound. Spurgeon would preach to thousands. <laughs> and we say, well, look, guys, what, what do you think of our sound system? They say, well, what do you do with it? Well, it's an electric thing that we amplify our voice over. <laughs> I don't remember that. But I begin to take him and I begin to say, well, well this is our Bible. 
You see, you can't separate the Christian and his Bible. You might take it out of his hand, but you can't take it out of his heart. And to say, here's the word of God that we begin to share with people, and this is how we lead people to Christ. We take them through the Romans road. We take them through the faith plan. We take them through whatever evangelism means you might have. And he'd say, I remember that. <laughs> and I'd say, Mr. Sunday, what do you think we can do to reach this, this crazy world in which we live? And he'd say, I tell you, Brother Tim, preach the word. Preach the word. Suppose we went back and we got the Apostle Paul. We brought the Apostle Paul in today for a service. He might look up and say, what's this thing up here? And I say, well, that's a, that's a cross that remembers. He said, I don't remember that. The, one I remember, the ones I remember seeing were rugged. You see, Paul was alive at that time. He might take him out in the parking lot and he'd say, what's that pretty looking little rock thing out there? And I said, oh, that hides our water meter, our electric meters and stuff. And he said, well, the only rocks I saw they threw at me. <laughs> And we might bring him in back here to our, our dining hall and say, look at this beautiful dining place. And so I, I remember church feasts, but, you know, it wasn't anything like this. We didn't have folding tables. I don't, I don't remember any of that. And he said, well, what's that, that uh, little pool up there? And I'd take him up and I'd show him. I'd say, this is our baptistry. And he might say, you're What? I said, it's our baptistry. We baptize people. Oh, yeah, I remember baptizing people. We did it in ponds and creeks and wherever we could go without being persecuted. Down by the river in Iconium and all those places. I, I kind of remember a little bit about that. And we said, the Apostle Paul, well, 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 come in and let's see these pews. And, and he'd, he'd look at them and say, well, that, that looks mighty comfortable. You know, and, and it kind of reminds me one time we, we changed our chairs at church as pastor in, in Florida and, and we changed our, our seating arrangements to get more seats in the building and put padded chairs in instead of pews. I want you to know I had somebody one Sunday say, I don't know if I'm going back to church because them pews don't look biblical to me. <laughs> so praise God, why don't you get out there like Jesus taught and we'll make you stand the whole time. You know, who cares what's a pew, a box, a crate? It don't matter about that. And, 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 and Paul might say, well, those are nice. The ones I remember people would crowd in. Uh, and he might even tell us about Eutychus. He said, I remember a time there was a young man sitting in the windowsill and he fell out and we had to, and the Lord raised him to life. <laughs> would to God we have more people raised to life in our services and our chapels would be full. <laughs> you see, when he raised that young man to life, I just got a feeling they went back right on in and went to preaching again. You can't go home after somebody gets resurrected. <laughs> you can't sleep. <laughs> That's better than coffee. And then we'd say, now, Paul, this, this is where we kind of sit. And we could go through the whole thing. We'd say, well, well what's this table? Well, he'd say, well that's, well, that's our communion table. Communion table? What you do with that? Well, we bring down the elements and we have these nice little plates that we put them on, these little bitty cute little cups that we drink the communion wine out. And he'd say, well, I don't, really don't remember that. We had a big old goblet and some, some unleavened bread we tore off. I don't remember any of that kind of fanciness and, and all, but, but okay, if it meets needs, that's fine. And we could take Paul throughout all of our means and our methods and our computers and our speakers. He wouldn't remember it. But friends, I want to tell you, I could bring him in and Paul would say, look, I want to know about your theology. What do you teach? What's your doctrine? And we'd say, well, Paul, we base everything we do on one book. Really? And I can see his eyes start to get excited. He'd say, well, what, what book 
is that. Because you see, Paul was a seeker of the truth. He said, well, I want to know. I want to look at the book. And so this is our English version of the Word of God. And he might say, well, I don't speak English. Would you read a little bit to me? And I said, all right, Paul. And he might say, I want you to start over there about Genesis. And I said, in the beginning, God. And he'd say, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and I take him over a little bit. And I take him to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15. And, and, and I say, well, here's what the prophet Habakkuk said. He said, the just shall live by faith. And Paul would say, amen. <laughs> I wrote a whole book on that. It's called Romans. I sent a letter. And I said, yeah, we got that one too. <laughs> You do? Yes, sir. It's right here. We got it written down. And he might even look at that and say, well, my goodness, I didn't know that was ever going to happen. And, and, we, and I'd say, Paul, tell me, you being the great theologian who wrote so much of the New Testament, such a godly insight, if you could give me one powerful truth to reach this generation, what would you say, friend? What would you say? And without a doubt, he would go into a glow and he would say, Preach the word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. A powerful truth. I want you to see one more thing and quickly as we go to a close. Verses 16 through 17, I want you to see profitable theology. And that from a child thou hast known the scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, if you really get anything, I want you to look at this closely. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfectly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, sometimes the Word of God is to, to correct us. Sometimes it's to tan our hide. Sometimes it's to touch our lives. Profitable theology. Teachers are to study the Word. Teachers to serve the Word. You see, when you stand before that Sunday school class, when you stand before that junior church, when you stand before that group that you are going to teach, I want you to understand something. You are the chef, not the chef. You know, a lot of times we think we're the chef and we're, served, we're, we're just bringing up and cooking up the Word of God. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You're not the chef. You're just the waiter and your job is to get the food there and get it there hot. That's all we are, just to wait with the Word of God. You know, a couple of months ago, or I guess it was about a month or two ago, um, Brother Billy preached a message he entitled, Nothing But the Word. And it was at that moment this message came to my heart, not knowing I'd be speaking today, as a matter of fact. And, and I remember as we were sitting there, I thought, now how's he going to do this? And if you remember, he did not give any references. He just went from Genesis to Revelation, <laughs> That's when his daughter looked over and said, Mama, is he going to read the whole Bible? Um, But all he did is just picked out selected readings and read that for the entire time we were here. You know what really got my heart about that? Not only the fact we had a young little boy saved, praise God, after the service. But my daughter was sitting there drawing during the message. 
And, you know, I thought, well, her being, you know, nine, nine and a half years old, whatever, I thought she would just draw in pictures, you know, playing around. Didn't know till the middle of the week, my wife said, by the way, do you know what she was drawing the other day while Billy was preaching? And I said, no. And she said he was, she was just drawing, trying to draw what he was reading. And she said, want to see it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and you'll appreciate this. I said, well, Melanie, what, what all was it? And she said, well, Daddy, I ran out of paper. <laughs> do you know what? She drew a baby. She drew a manger. She drew some animals. She drew a cross. She drew a tomb. She threw, and I tell you what, I began to look at that and I said, I tell you what, nothing but the Word. You tell me that people today say we can't understand the Word of God as it's printed. A child can understand it. Just read it to them. Some time ago, I was meeting with some folks in Florida who were going to be coming to a, were, were considering coming to one of our camps this next summer. The pastor changed hands of the church. I, I don't know the pastor there anymore, but I had a friend there that set up the meeting. And we began, he began to ask some questions. And he said, now look, he said, I'm particular about the camps my kids go to. And I said, well, that's great. I hope you are. And he looked at me and he said, well, now I don't want you boring them to death with a bunch of sermons. And I thought, well, okay, let's see where he's going with this. I mean, we, if you've been to one of our camps, our, our sermons are exciting. We have object lessons and we have people dressed up in costumes and everything else. But it's still the Word of God. And I said, well, what are you looking for? And he said, well, we don't do that anymore in our church. We, we just have like a little video thing that the kids watch for five minutes here. And then they go to the next five-minute thing. And then they go to the next five-minute thing. And they end up finish up with like a video game because it's on their level. I know what to say. I mean, I, the barbecue I had on my plate wasn't even tasty anymore. I looked at him and I said, well... And he said, and, and he said, well, who's some of the... And I told him some of the great men of God that are going to be speaking at that camp particularly this year. And he said, well, I don't know that any of those guys could hold, uh, hold a child's attention for very long. And I looked at him and I said, well, I just have to say that I believe you're wrong. And our camp's probably not for you. I don't care if we don't have but two there. We're going to preach the word of God. <laughs> and you know what? It is the inspired, God-breathed word we deal with. We better get it right. The word inspired literally means God-breathed. Let me explain that to you real fast. There's a little bit of clay down in the Garden of Eden. And God looked around and said, let's go down there and, and, and make man in our own image. By the way, you can't separate the Trinity. You don't say let us unless there's more than one involved, do you? And he said, let us go down there and make man in our image. And he began to, you know, you can kind of see it as he began to trace out that man, however he did that in, 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 in the ground. And by the way, you can chemically create every single thing in a human body and you can't make a human. There's one reason. He took that dirt and began to form it. And when he got done, he said, now, and maybe some of the angels said, well, what are you going to do now? And he said, just watch. What's this? Leaned over, and he, and he breathed life into that living, into that soul of clay that became a living soul. 
And friends, whenever this precious word of God, as Second Peter says, holy men of old were inspired, <laughs> not of private interpretation, but as, as the Holy Spirit inspired them, it was God breathed. He breathed into their hands the very words that they were to speak, the inspired God breathed word of God. And whenever you read this book, the author is always present. <laughs> Preach the word. You know, I remember some time ago, just a young man, and I like to think that I still am, but this has been a long time, so I'm beginning to wonder that. <laughs> I was called to the hospital one morning. This was when I was serving as an assistant pastor very early on in my ministry there. And the pastor was out of town uh, for some reason or another. And I'd actually ministered with this family quite a bit myself on visitation. And I remember the man uh, was in his, his uh, late 70s, I believe it was, and hadn't been doing so good and taking ill was taken to the hospital. It was a Saturday morning about 5.30. Don't, I'll tell you, you don't understand sometimes what you know, Brother Billy goes through when he gets that 4.30 in the morning phone call. You know, some of you, you might say, well, he might not have to get up all the way every, every Monday morning right away. Well, you ought to get to sleep sometime because sometimes Monday morning the phone rings at 4 o'clock and he's dog tired. <laughs> but he gets up and goes. <laughs> and I remember hearing the phone call and it was, Dad's not doing good. And he, he, he couldn't, he's kind of starting to lips into a coma, but he really wanted to see one of you before, you left, before he went. I said, I'll be right there. And I, I dressed and I, I got dressed and the hospital that it was at was uh, Bayonet Point, Florida. It was up uh, Heart Center and it was about 30 minutes from where I lived. And I drove up there as quickly as I could that time in the morning and I got in there and I asked how he's in. He said, he's not responding, Brother Tim. He said, he's quit responding. Had all the family gathered in the room. I went over and I, his, his name was Orvi, and I went over and I, I took his hand and I, I just picked up that feeling, almost lifeless feeling hand Said, and I leaned over to his ear and I said, Brother Orvi, it's, it's Brother Tim. And he squeezed my hand. And I said, Brother Orvi, are you, you ready to go? And he squeezed my hand again. <laughs> and said, he's been waiting for you. And I, I squeezed his hand and I said, well, Brother Orvi, can we pray? Well, he squeezed my hand. I said, yes. And so we did. I prayed and I prayed, thank you, God, for dying on the cross. I knew there was some unsaved family there. And I said, thank you for giving us a home in heaven. And boy, did he squeeze my hand at that. Because you see, he trusted Christ. I remember when he got saved. <laughs> and I remember him sitting there and he was holding my hand. And, he, and I remember I said, amen. And when I said, amen, so did he. Not out loud, but his hand just relaxed. And I knew Orvi was in the presence of God. I looked across at that monitor, and it was starting to flatline. And I looked around at the family, and I don't think any of them were aware of the situation yet, so I just kind of slid my hand back and tried to kind of just fade back out of the way. And about five minutes later, a nurse came in the room and said, I'm sorry to tell you, but our monitor is showing that Brother Orvi is gone. And I said, praise God. He was just waiting to hear one more time about where he was going. And then he said, let's go. Because he'd heard the word preached. But you know what? I remember hearing another story. Of a man who was in the same situation. He went to the hospital and he was sick. He was dying. 
It was in one of those modern churches with liberal theologians. And they told him he was dying, and he called his wife, and he said, Look, will you get a hold of the pastor? I'd like for him to come, and, you know, the right reverend, you know. <laughs> I want him to come and see me before I die. So she called him and got him set up to come, and he, he walked into the hospital room. <laughs> and he called his name and said, I'm glad to see you, sir. And he said, Well, uh, I, I ran out of the house in a hurry, and I don't have, the pastor said, he said, I don't have my Bible with you. Could I borrow yours? And he said, sure, I brought it up here with me. And he took his Bible, and he began to open it. <laughs> he said, well, friend, what is this? And there was a cover. And there was a front that said Holy Bible, and there was a table of contents. There's a few maps in the back, and one or two little pages in the middle, and a, and a bulletin from that week. He said, man, what are you doing? He said, you don't got no Bible here. You got nothing but a cover. Where's your Bible? And the reply came, sir, I've been going to your church for 30 years. And every time you'd preach that you weren't sure that was in the Word of God, I went home and I took my scissors and I cut that passage out. And then I'd go to church and you'd say, well, this is a great story, but I don't believe it was really happened. You know that story about the fish? I just don't know that could have really happened. So I went home and I cut it out. If it didn't really happen, I don't want it in my Bible. He said, after 30 years, this is all I got left. Preach the word. You can take this or you can take this. As for me, I want this. What are you standing on? When I go to my death, if I'm I'm able to talk, I want this around me. I want to be standing and I want to be surrounded on the word of God. Which one do you want? Let's stand for an invitation, shall we? Father, I thank you for this day. So we've shared this morning, tried to share exactly what you wanted, Father, your word. You say you have exalted your word even above your name in the book of Psalms. It's precious. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Over and over again, we're reminded the word, the word, the word. God, in a room this size... There are some that do not understand what we get so excited about. There are some that this morning that meant nothing to because they don't have a personal testimony. Talk is cheap, but the walk is steep. And God, I pray if there's some here that have been playing church for 25, 30, 40 years, they'd come and get it right. I just can't help but think there's some here that have been going through the motions and they still don't understand why people get excited about the Word and they just think it's all show. Convict their heart. Don't let them sleep. Don't let them rest. Even now, convict them in the pew they're in and bring them. Father, there's one by the way of Internet or radio that does not know you as Lord and Savior. They could die today. I pray you would help them trust you. But God... Just help us preach, teach the Word. 
We don't know how technology is going to change. Benson Grove will probably do a lot of things that will be different because the, the methods change. But help Benson Grove stand firmly in its mission on the Word of God. I thank you for it. Now bless in this time. In your name we pray. Amen.